Hello, everyone, and welcome to Outside World Occultism, the podcast with the most gremlins in your house. Today is another Unsealing Club episode consisting of who else but the most charismatic and popular leader of the Sealing Club that has ever been known, an 18-year-old gremlin. (laughs) That we know of so far. Yeah. It's not a very high bar. It really isn't. It's a Sumiraka episode. Sumirep episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is a Sumireko? Do we want to do introductions? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with me today are Katya. Hi. F. Hello there. And Love. Why am I always last? <laughs> because you have been cursed by the gods. <laughs> who, who are you, though? I don't exist. I'm me. <laughs> JT is currently being battered and fried. (laughs) (laughs) But enough about that. Let's talk about the other dysfunctional character that is vaguely related to the Torifune satellite. Purple child. Violet child. (laughs) Yeah, she's violet, but not the color violet. Well, okay, yeah. It's the flower. Those violets are purple. Yeah. Some songs and poems say they're blue, but they're not blue. They're purple. I actually thought it was violet like the color, and I was going to do this whole thing about how that connects her to you, Kari. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually been wondering if that's like... Intentional? Yeah, if that's obvious on the Japanese end, since I'm not sure how closely... Violets, the flower, are deeply associated with purple itself. So, yeah, that's true. I think it's probably at least, oh, huh, that's really weird. And also she wears a bunch of purple, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's the fact that she's uh, named after a flower, just like Franco. Mm-hmm. I think, if anything, the more pertinent connection is she gets to go mess around in her dreams that are basically reality. Yeah. Mm. I mean, through different mechanics, though. So what's Asumireko like, personality-wise, anyway? Why do we keep calling her a gremlin? Because <laughs> she's a gremlin. <laughs> she's just this yeah. horrible teen. Just an absolutely dreadful teenager who shows up in Gensokyo one day. That's another connection to Yukari. She's incredibly pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she shows up in Gensokyo one day and causes a lot of trouble for everyone, but especially Reima. And attempts to blow the whole place up. But don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, she is... Well, first of all, she's a chuni. Like, that's just... If Toho was a tropier series, that would be her character. Yeah. Yeah. Inst- instead, it's just a trait of her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sh- she's the archetypal chuni, but the thing is, she actually is, like, psychic. Like, she mm-hmm. has psychic powers. She's an esper. She's, like, mob psycho 100. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And this is never really, like, explained in any way. I mean, do you really need to explain that somebody has psychic powers? They just have psychic powers. I mean, true. She's just like that. She's like a very unusual by Toho standards in the sense that I don't think psychic powers have been really like either discussed or shown anywhere else but her. I mean, they are just probably a type of strange ability like... Yeah, I mean, sure. Do you think that Miko's ability would count under psychic powers? It's sort of a type of telepathy. I think there's a lot of characters who have powers that could be classified as, like, being psychic in tone. But, like, Sumireko just has psychic powers as her power. Yeah. (laughs) That's part of the fact that powers are self-described. She decided, hmm, how tuny can I possibly be? (laughs) Yeah, but she actually can do, like, all kinds of... Assorted, not in any other way related psychic stuff like teleportation and telekinesis and pyrokinesis. Her powers are just like all of like the typical Esper powers. Yeah, in one package. Though I don't think she's got telepathy. Oh, right. Well, as far as we know. <laughs> she wouldn't be so confused all the time if she had telepathy. That's true. Yeah. Maybe it's one way. <laughs> Everybody can hear what she's saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome, and you've tuned into the Sumireko channel. (laughs) I would like to unsubscribe. We do not take calls because we cannot hear them. (laughs) 
the most notable thing about Samiriko is that she is from the outside world. She's a high school girl from the outside world. Yeah, she's a dangerous, endangered species. <laughs> An outside world occultist, one could say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was the inspiration for the name of this podcast, actually. Like, I was thinking about ways to tie, like, you know, us in the outside. What were you actually thinking about, Katya? <laughs> <laughs> You were thinking about ways to make the acronym UWU. Yes. And then you ended up with OWO from Outside World Occultist. Yes, but also it ties into, it tied into Sumiraku specifically, like that's the theme that I was going for. Yes, it's a good theme, but it's also OWO. OWO is me. (laughs) You guys are the ones who accepted it, so the blame lies with you. Very true. I do not take the blame away from myself in this case. If anything, I'm proud of it. Oh, no, it's a very good name. I'm very happy with it. So, yeah, she's from the outside world, and she behaves like this because she has an interest in the occult. She's the president and sole member of the Unsealing Club, or of the Secret Sealing Club. <laughs> of the Club of Secret Seals. Yes. In her time, the interesting thing is that, you know, her name is Osami Sumirako, so... Clearly related to Renko in some way. I would be so embarrassed to join a club that, like, my great aunt founded. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure, like, Renko actually, like, joined it as much as, like, rediscovered it somehow. Yeah, I think that's the most... It's still a club that your great aunt or grandma or whatever founded. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like a great Disney movie. That's very true. (laughs) Like just finding some old package in the attic. Yeah. Oh, well, what's this in the attic? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're awful. I am. (laughs) I think it's really important to keep in mind that Samirka was actually a pretty popular student at her school. And then she... She doesn't like being popular, though. Yeah, like, she took on this, like, chuny persona and did the ceiling club and stuff. To get people to avoid her because she was a weirdo. It only worked to some degree. Yeah, I mean, the chuny stuff is real. She just put it on more obvious display. Yeah, she could easily have just been, like, a normal person about the fact that she had psychic powers, but she decided to be a chuny instead. Because she did not want to have to deal with people who she thought were so immature and below her. Her personality is kind of the boomer cartoons about people being on their phones all day. (laughs) She's like a realistic portrait of the boomer meme. (laughs) Like, she's both sides of the boomer meme, is the the thing. She's just like kids these days, and then she's also the kids these days. Yeah, she is the kids these days, and but she acts like she's so much better than everyone else, but she's literally exactly like everyone else. Mm -hmm. To the point that her... Like, attacks in the fighting games incorporate her smartphone in certain ways. One of her spell cards is literally summoning a summoning circle using an iPad. (laughs) Yeah, and doesn't she also, like, complain about kids these days using their phones all day? Except her, of course, because she actually needs it. Yeah, exactly. That's her whole thing. Yeah, it's not exactly subtle. Yeah, she's very unself-aware. And she gets perpetually owned for being like this. (laughs) <laughs> so we is the I'm not owned, I'm not owned tweet. As she tr- shrinks and transforms into whatever Manzo turns her into. A ghost. Is it a ghost? Yeah, it's a ghost. Yeah, it's a, oh it's a goofy God. ghost with a big tongue, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so she first shows up in one of the fighting games, Urban Legend and Limbo. Yeah, she's kind of the main villain of it. And she just causes problems ever since. Yeah, she's like using the power of the occult balls to break into Gensokyo because she's convinced that there's like, you know, other worlds and she wants to see them. There sure are, but you accidentally caused an international incident. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the occult ball thing is just here with us forever. It's hasn't gone away in like 300 games i still don't think it has any intention of going away sorry it's urban legends forever now i would like different last words though because the urban legends are still here but you'd think that people would get bored of them i imagine that the engine would like change at some point yeah but i also don't think the incident is actually going to have 
like an actual resolution, since at this point it's just hanging around and no one seems to even know how it works, really. I don't think that anybody particularly cares. It's like the border between the netherworld and Gensokyo getting thinner, and nobody yeah. ever fixing that. It's just like, oh, it's like this now? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think Samirako is interesting because she's one of the major cases in Toho of like a character showing up and actually not only developing significantly as a character over time, but like sort of changing a lot of the status quo of Gensokyo. Yeah. I mean, it was entirely accidental, but she sort of breathed new life into Gensokyo. Yeah. We learned a lot about the world of Gensokyo and how things like the dream world work and all of that basically through her. Yeah. And there's also some important snippets like I think it was a theme in one or two like early works or it was somehow mentioned how the outside world is getting like some snippets on, of information about Gensokyo, I think. <laughs> but then Sumiroko makes it clear that even though she takes photos and posts photos of Danmaku online, everyone just thinks she's a weird role player. Yeah, everybody will think that their own perceptions are correct until they see something that actually changes their perceptions with their own eyes. That's pretentious. I'm turning into Sumiraka. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of like important setting-wise since it kind of establishes that there isn't much of a so-called masquerade thing going on around Gensoke or anything. Mm-hmm. Like they don't need to go to much effort to conceal their existence or anything, especially since if people believe in them, they wouldn't like need Gensoke to begin with. Yeah, there's no real reason to conceal your existence if people believing that you exist is unconditionally a good thing for you. Yeah, like I'm not sure if that was ever a major thing in the fandom or anything, but I think it's still nice to have established. It was a super major thing in the fandom, but it was never a super major thing in canon because a lot of things that are super major things in the fandom are never even mentioned in canon. Fair. The occult balls were actually made by Sagume in her, like, long-term plot to prep the ground for the lunar capital to be relocated to Gensokyo in an emergency. A certain, like, Junko-related emergency. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually forgotten how they ended up in Sumiroko's hands. There was never any explanation for how they ended up there, I don't think. Yeah, I think Sagume just dropped them somewhere in a cardboard box. Maybe Sakume <laughs> sold them on the internet to whoever w- would buy them. It was literally like the scene in Death Note where the Death Note falls from the sky and Sumiroko's just looking out the window and she sees it happen. And she's just like, oh, okay, I own these now. <laughs> Free balls. <laughs> orbs. I realized that I've been like mentally replacing the term occult balls with occult orbs in my head all this time because I don't f- want to think about... That's because it should be that, because the term was specifically changed in the Japanese to not have weird connotations, but the English translators made it have weird connotations again. Let us wager our balls and fight. (laughs) A daily life with balls. that everyone on the podcast is exactly as mature as America. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I totally forgot that they're even called that, but I guess they are. <laughs> they're called like Boru in Katakana, right? Yeah. Yes, specifically Boru, because if you use the actual word for ball or orb, Tama, that has the same weird connotations as balls does in English. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the translators just did an absolute masterwork there. <laughs> I mean, I think they saw a chance that they took it. Oh yeah, like absolutely, like Fudo's line about wagering their balls is like really. I wouldn't lose it for the world, but it's definitely <laughs> probably not the original intent of the work. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she ends up in Gensokyo, causes a lot of drama. It becomes like a thing where so the urban legend incident like split her body in two, basically. 
I think it's still in two, isn't it? After the incident in Urban Legend and Limbo, she can basically come back to visit Gensokyo anytime, but only in her dreams. Mm-hmm. So, like, she's sleeping in the outside world and she just shows up in Gensokyo. Yeah, and there's a kind of complicated witcheroo going around. Like somebody else we know. Except, unlike the somebody else we know, she apparently doesn't experience any ill effects from this. Yeah. I mean, actually, do we know that nothing bad would happen to Sumireko if anything bad happened to her in Gensokyo, or is she just Maribel too? I don't think it's been, like, clearly established. She can take stuff in and out by hugging it when she goes to sleep or wakes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so she's sort of... Kasen uses her as her outside world contact in Wild and Horned Hermit. To order big fish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there's a serious difference between her and Maribel in terms of being harmed by Gensokyo because... Yeah, I was... I think I just assumed that there was a difference, but it doesn't seem like there's a difference at all. I think the thing is that Sumiriko can actually like defend herself because she's an Esper. But Maribel doesn't seem to have any conflict with her dream self, whereas Sumireko does, so what's happening there? I mean, Sumireko has... I mean, it is, like, annoyingly complicated. I think I get it mixed up, like, half the time. But what the Urban Legend incident did was give her a separate body, like this doppelganger in Gensokyo. And, like, when she goes to sleep, her soul, mind, like, actually moves into this body. Yeah, I think it's her dream self's head goes into her sleeping body and her head goes into her dream self's body, which is putzing around in Gensokyo. I have I seem to recall that like the whole thingamajig was that because her soul is going to Gensokyo instead of the dream world, her dream self has nothing to do or something. Yeah. Yes, actually I'm looking exactly at the passage in Curiosities of Lotus Asia where Dorami explains it. Okay. She say? <laughs> To Sumireko, Gensokyo was originally the dream world she longed for. At first, coming to Gensokyo was just like coming to the dream world for her. But when she physically crossed the barrier to Gensokyo, she was affected by the urban legend incident and her physical body was split in two, with part of her remaining in Gensokyo. The one left in Gensokyo was her doppelganger. Someone asks, so you're saying Sumireko is two people? And Dorami replies, I believe that- Two Mireko. I believe that whenever she was asleep in the outside world, she shares her consciousness with her doppelganger. As a doppelganger is a being that cannot exist without its original, it would only appear while she was dreaming. So, I don't think the doppelganger exists in Gensokyo unless Sumiriko is asleep. It isn't like lying in the street. Maybe her dream self is mad because she was originally occupying her dream self's body when she was asleep. Yeah, there's three Sumirakos actually, because there's the doppelganger in Gensokyo, the real Sumirako, and the Sumirako in the dream world, which is the Sumirako that would ordinarily be happening when Sumirako is asleep. But because of this whole body splitting situation, dream Sumirako is just kind of stuck in the dream world and can't really do anything. Playing Uno for eternity. Yeah, and that's what Violet Detector was about. Violet Detector was about the dream self actually replacing Sumireko and then original flavor Sumireko saying, hey, no, I don't like this, I'm going to replace you again, and it actually happening, and Okina causing some problems, I don't know. The dream Sumireko believes that she's the real Sumireko, and she thinks that she's stuck in the dream world, and the dream Sumireko is out in the real world. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so she's trying to break out, and that's why she's trying to swap places with the real Sumirako, which would lead to, like, nothing really happening. Like, it would just be Sumirako again, except there'd be the dream one instead of the real one, and the real one would be the dream one. Do you get it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a surprisingly coherent explanation. This still doesn't explain why Maribel has, can get hurt in dreams when it's explainable that by Sumireko having a doppelganger and the doppelganger being part of her original self, but, like, Maribel just decides to defy explanation every day. We talked about Maribel in the last Unsealing Club, and our working theory was that the reason, like, she never swaps between dream and real self. Like, her dream self is always asleep and her real self is always awake, and that's why everything sort of bleeds together for her and she can see all these boundaries between dreams and reality. I think that's part of the reason why, like, any damage that she takes while dreaming sort of, you know 
transfers to her in her life. Whereas with Sumireko, the doppelganger is just kind of an avatar for her when she dreams that goes to Gensokyo and then vanishes when she wakes up. Kind of thematically speaking, it isn't really a proper in-character explanation, but with Mary, the whole theme is obviously that the boundary between dreams and reality is hazy and we can know what's true and reality is subjective. Whereas with Sumireko, it's just straight up getting isekai <laughs> <laughs> Like, thematically um, speaking, that's what it's like representing. Describing it as Maribel taking damage makes it even more isekai seeming. I mean, true. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm using sort of video game metaphors here just because it's easiest to understand, I think, that way. And that's almost certainly the way that Zun thinks about it. Yeah, and that's probably the way he thought of it. Because he's a gamer. I don't love to hear the word gamer in relation to Zun ever again. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he's literally a gamer. I don't think we can get around that. Yeah. The other thing about Curiosities of Lotus Asia is it's where we get like a ton of characterization for Samiriko. And we also get a bit of discussion about how dreams and reality are just two sides of the same coin. Because during the chapter of Kola where Samiriko is like missing and she's lost in the dream world. The one that is concurrent with Violet Detector. Mm-hmm. Rinosuke is like talking about the dream world and the Rainbow and Marisa are very confused about it, which is more or less, I think, how the fandom is at all times about the dream world. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really funny chapter, actually, just because they're like trying to figure out ways to get into the dream world and retrieve, retrieve Sumireko. Let me in. Let me in. Yeah, I love the task force that they set up. <laughs> I imagine that they like spend a while like drawing the sign before actually getting to work. I think that the protagonists being nerds is actually a pillar of Gensokyo society and it's the best thing in the world. It's mm-hmm. so good. I really love that Zun makes like a bunch of his characters into just like just big nerds. Mm-hmm. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But uh looking at the now the task force was originally called Sumereko Usami's Disappearance Task Force. But then when they got the explanation, they like took the time to add saving Sumiriko Usami's doppelganger task force. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I think that Dream Sumiriko and Real Sumiriko actually do swap places, right? Like Dream Sumiriko is the winner of that encounter. She was the winner in Antonomy of Common Flowers and then she was the loser in whatchamacallit. Violet Detector? Yeah, that. Yeah. But yeah, so now it's back to the original, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. And the only person who got permanently replaced by their dream self was Shin Miyamara. That's true. So in the same chapter of Kola, Sumiriko, like hadn't been able to dream at all because of this situation. And then she was finally able to visit Gensokyo again. And she looked through her phone and like saw all of the events of Violet Detector and was like, what the heck is all this? What's all this? and she actually talks about posting it on instagram like she actually says instagram (laughs) and it's like maybe i'll become instagram famous but everyone just thinks she's a larper which is great the other thing is when they actually like talk to her about everything that had happened and sort of explain the situation to her even though it happened to her she got really pumped about being a yokai because she's just like oh i'm a doppelganger that's so cool Mm mm-hmm because she's a tuning and she's into the idea of being a monster. <laughs> yeah, none of that existential bullshit. <laughs> Just roll with it. Yeah. But yeah, they talked to her about how doppelgangers share the spirit and the flesh of the real person. And when you wake up, you'll have a doppelganger's memories. They're like breaking the news to her. Like she's come down with some kind of like terminal illness. And she's like, wait, so you're saying that I'm a yokai or some kind of monster? And then she got really happy about that. (laughs) Yeah, everyone else is really confused. So aside from Kola and the games, she's also appeared in Grimoire of Usami. I mean, it's literally her book. (laughs) Yeah. I actually haven't finished reading that one, though. Oops. It has a lot of, like, individual character snippets. The Grimoire of Usami is mostly... It's only got a little Sumireko. Honestly. Yeah. As a treat. <laughs> <laughs> For the yokai. That's what a yokai would say. 
<laughs> you don't know anything about me. Um, but Maybe so. <laughs> yeah, like I mostly read the parts with Junko in them. Valid. <laughs> Does Grimoire Wasami actually give us like anything new about Sumiraka? About just... Sumiraka, I don't think really. The only pieces of like information it gives us are about other people and their relationships. Okay, so let's talk about Sumiraka's hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it the same hat that Renko wears or not? Would it be more chuny for Renko to have gotten an exact copy of her ancestor's hat made because she thought it was cool, or would it be more chuny to be using her ancestor's exact hat? Because whichever one of those is more chuny is the truth. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be like more chuny to like find Sumireko's old hat and decide that it's really cool and she needs to do it for the Chuni points, but it's in such bad condition that she needs to make a copy instead. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if it's the exact same hat, because it, it gets drawn differently in different works, obviously. I think it is funnier if it's the exact same hat, because she just found that in the box in the attic too. On the art side, I wouldn't be surprised if people started drawing them more similarly after like, they decided that they were the same hat, basically. Yeah, I'm looking at Zen's art right now of Sumiraka, which we finally got in Violet Detector. <laughs> same hat. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just compare it real quick to Renko's hat. It looks really similar to the way it was drawn in, like, retrospective 53 minutes. It's also the same way that Moe draws Renko's hat normally. Okay. I think it might actually just be the same hat. <laughs> same hat. Same hat. I do think that kind of points to the idea that Renko like either stumbled across her ancestors' notes or whatever on all of this stuff that she experiences. Like maybe she found the Grimoire of Usami and whatever other notes Sumiraka managed to find or me. Finding the Grimoire of Usami would be extremely hilarious. And for some reason, Sumiraka decided that the hat was like critical ceiling club paraphernalia that had to be saved for the future generations. Yeah, well, I'm thinking of it as like a box in the family attic sort of situation, you know, with all of like grandma's embarrassing stuff in it. Grandma's LARPing gear. And then maybe Renko finds her like ancestors like cringe Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> like art in the web archives. I guess there's an even more chuny possibility. What's that? Sumareko from wherever she is in Renko's time, because she probably like disappears or whatever mysteriously i figure smells the hat to renko for whatever reason with like a mysterious note or something that has dragons and bats drawn on it <laughs> written entirely in runic script yeah it would definitely have a lot of runes on it because sumiriko like literally wears a dramatic flowing cape covered in runes i feel like sumiriko would attempt to make absolutely everything that she's ever owned look like a powerful artifact. <laughs> <laughs> what if Renko's wearing the same hat because it was left with the ceiling club item, so she assumes it's important, even though it's just a plain ass hat? I mean, it does go very well with the rest of her clothes, so I do think that Renko is surprisingly fashionable compared to Sumiraco, and she, maybe she saw this cool hat in this box in the attic or whatever, and decided that, hey, this cool vintage hat, I can make this mm -hmm. work with my wardrobe. <laughs> I'm sad that we don't really know en enough about the future fashion to actually tell if it's like, if it looks old fashioned. Yeah, like, is this just how people dress in the future world of Kifu, or do they look like they're just wearing Lolita cords? I think that they should, they look like nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's certainly a better, like, post-apocalyptic fashion aesthetic than most of the ones we get in sci-fi. That's true. Like, they're not wearing, I don't know, plain gray jumpsuits or anything. Or, you know, like military clothes or whatever, as is pretty common. I do like the idea of this just being how people dress in the future. I think that's the that's the thing that would fit the most with Zun's vision. Oh yeah, also, completely forgot to bring this up earlier when we are talking about Wild and Horned Hermit. There was like a whole chapter about how Sumiriko visiting Gensokyo in her dreams is like causing people to vanish. Hmm. And so Yukari has to set up some kind of like dummy body situation. Mm-hmm. A dummy body situation, and there's also people's dreams that she steals that she puts in them. That doesn't make that much sense. I can't remember how that works. 
It's literally never explained outside of that one chapter, but Sumiriko's Ginsokyo form is a doppelganger. That's kind of like body snatcher situation, right? She probably, like, in order to occupy Gensokyo, she has to take over somebody else's body, maybe? And somehow that becomes Sumiriko? They switch places or something. They want to switch places. That would mean that people are popping up in Sumiriko's classroom or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's people popping up in the real world. I can't remember the chapter. I think that they're probably just in some sort of ethereal space. Maybe they are being transported to the dream world in- instead of Sumiraka. So, like, where is the dummy body that Yukari built stored? Like, when Sumiraka wakes up in Gensokyo, is she always in the same place? Or is this thing being kept somewhere? I don't want to think too hard about what it's made out of, because Yukari advised against that. Well, the way they look like in Wild and Horn Hermit makes them look like they're sort of made of wood or whatever. Yeah. I mean, maybe she just has a pile of them at her house. <laughs> Personally, I think Yukari... Like, should have a pile of wooden mannequins anyway. You never know when you need them. But I don't think that Yukari, like, actually facilitates Sumiriko's entry into Gensokyo in any way, so I don't think that that's the case, because... Yeah, she specifically thought that it was Kasan that was doing it. Yeah, I think it doesn't actually matter where the dummy body is, because it would have been a lot easier for Kasan to figure out it was Sumireko if Sumireko was popping up every time a person disappeared. Yeah, and I actually was going to say that whenever she appears in Gensokyo in Wild and Horned Hermit, it's always at the Hakurei Shrine. You know, Maribel's ability is described as connecting to shrines too. That's weird. So does this mean that Reimu just has like a creepy mannequin somewhere in her shrine or around her shrine? <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know, it's down in Clown Pieces' hell basement. I mean, she it's probably not the weirdest thing she has in her shrine. True. She has a hell fairy living underneath it. I think that she'd be just like, oh, there's a mannequin? Well, I better go put this out in the storehouse. <laughs> oh my god, it probably is in the freaking storehouse. <laughs> <laughs> I actually want to go back now and look at the various chapters where we see Reimu enter the storehouse and see if there's like a weird mannequin in one of the frames. It would have to be after chapter 35 though, so I don't know if there's that many chapters. Yeah, because after that, Wild and Horror Hermit mostly deals with... Cousins, Wild Ride. Yeah. God, there's so much in Wild and Horror Hermit that should have been expanded on but never was. I feel like Zune fundamentally isn't the type to expand upon things. That's that is true. unfortunately true. Speaking about expanding upon things, we've talked a little bit about Sumiriko's approach to the occult and the ceiling club and all of that, but we haven't really talked about it in much detail or its contrast with the way the future Hufu club takes everything. Hmm. I feel like she takes the idea of investigating the occult a lot less seriously than having fun adventures, whereas it's... Actually, Renko kind of puts a hole in that idea, doesn't she? She just kind of wants to have fun adventures and investigate the occult. Renko mostly approaches the occult, at least originally, as just uh, like a replacement for the fact that there isn't much like excitement of discovery in future science. And she, like, enjoys the occult because it's beyond that which has been, like, thoroughly analyzed Mm -hmm. and put into compartments. And the occult is, like, unknown to everyone but her and Mary. And it's their thing. Whereas with... I think it's actually some of the, like, terms and such that Sumiko uses kind of make me think that she gets most of her occult information from, like... Pop culture? Some old Angel Fire websites... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely agree with you on that, and I think... Sumiriko goes on a GeoCities dive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For Sumiriko, her experiences in Gensokyo and her experiences with the occult are, like, first of all, her the occult thing was, like, a hobby before she actually got into Gensokyo. Because, I mean, she knew she had psychic powers, so she obviously knew that there was more to the world than uh, is assumed to be possible. So, like, for her, the whole, like, you know, visiting Gensokyo thing, it's mostly a grand adventure, and she doesn't really think too hard about it being, like, a confirmation of her beliefs, because she already kind of knew that, you know, there was more to the world, and she just needed to figure out how to isekai herself. (laughs) 
She probably does think of it in terms of, like, an isekai sort of thing. Does Himiriko read crappy light novels? Definitely. I think this might also be helped by the fact that Sumiriko is like a teen girl. She's a high school girl. Whereas Rinko's, you know, she's a college student and she's more grown up. She's more mature. She has an inkling of taking things seriously. Although she still thinks of herself as the protagonist shooting game sometimes. Well, that's just because she's a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) She lives in like a much different world than Sumiriko, first of all. Yeah, I would imagine that, if anything, the lighthearted tone she takes sometimes could be just sort of, well, this is my escape from the kind of crappy world that I'm in, even though the escape is imperfect. I really like the concept of imperfect escapism. Yeah, for Rinko, it's kind of the knowledge that there's much more to the world than what is soon to be possible for her. It's kind of a ray of hope, first of all, for her. Like, she sort of approaches it from a much more scientific perspective, obviously, and she wants to find out everything she can about how to take advantage of the, like, magic in the world instead of viewing it as, like, you know, just like having a good time in this fantasy land. I think that the fundamental thing is that Renko wants to understand what's going on, whereas Sumireko is just like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> yeah, she definitely treats it as just uh, like an isekai of as a funny fantasy world with weird people that she can call Chan after meeting them once. Actually, there is one thing that Remora of Usami does show us, and that's that Sumireko is scared of some yokai, even though she wasn't scared at all after Urban Legend in Limbo, our antinomy of common flowers. So I guess maybe she's developed a little bit. Yeah, someone's beaten some sense into her. Maybe now that she's older, she's thinking about the concept of, oh, I could actually die, huh? I don't like thinking about that. <laughs> you die in the dream. Like, even in an abstract way, it's not nice to think about your own death. I think part of the reason for Sumiriko's fear there is because, like, you know, in Urban and Legend and Limbo, Mamizo kind of tricks her into getting trapped in Gensokyo for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think that sort of helped put the fear in her. But I feel like it's different because she didn't really... Like, it stuck for, like, maybe a few months or so, but back in Antonymy of Common Flower, she was back to her old self when interacting with yokai, whereas in Remoir of Usami, she is basically, I'm going to be walking away slowly from a lot of yokai, actually. (laughs) So maybe seeing yokai act yokai-like in a more natural environment was what did that for her, rather than even if she was being chased in Urban Legend and Limbo, it probably felt a little bit artificial. Yeah, that's true, because I do think that Sumiko is very much the type of person to refer to regular people as NPCs, Um, (laughs) just like in the real world. So they really did seem like the NPC mobs in a video game. (laughs) Yeah, so to her, I think when she visited Gensokyo, a lot of the experiences that she had and a lot of the people she met, she was just like, oh, it's a funny shrine maiden. I remember when she was talking about, wow, they think of us as food. That's such a cool video game plot. (laughs) (laughs) real life issues aside there's the big difference between like Sumiroko and Renko that Renko's escapism is like from her like really stifling and boring and kind of gray future world whereas Sumiroko is just personally bored yeah Renko lives in society Sumiroko does not (laughs) yeah So that kind of puts a different tone on the escapism. Rinka voice. I think we shouldn't live in a society. <laughs> <laughs> it's like kind of different tone-wise to be escaping from your own boredom as opposed to a like actively boring, depressing world. I do also want to say that I really like Sumiriko's friendship with Moko. Yeah. It's really cute. It's just like, you have been diagnosed with older sister. Sorry, you were... <laughs> Trying to have a bad mental health day? Too bad. Here's a little sister who is going to be extremely annoying, so you can't think about the existential dread you constantly have. We see Sumiriko interact a lot with Remu and Marisa, but they seem to sort of... See her as kind of a pain? Yeah, they, they view her as a responsibility. Mm-hmm. I feel distinctly like Kasson was just like, young ladies, you better take care of her or so help me. <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely. Even if we didn't see the scene happen ourselves, it just has the vibe that we were assigned to babysit this kid by our aunt help. Yeah, and also Sumiriko's personality definitely contributes to that because like, there's other young girls that Raimu is friends with, like uh, Kosuzu, for yeah. instance. Who she treats in a much like friendlier way. And Aku, even though Aku was really, she's kind of very rude. Yeah, I do think that Raymond's relationship with Aku is more professional than with Kosuzu. Yeah, it's more professional, but it's not to the same degree as Ugh, I have to see her again. That I see when Kosuzu appears. Yeah, Raymond's relationship with Aku is very much oh, it's Aku. <laughs> <laughs> much to Aki's annoyance whereas with Kosuzu like she is a little bit more affectionate and a little bit more protective of her a lot friendlier towards her like I I don't know if I would call her like one of Reimu's like true friends but like she is very much up there I think as Mm. somebody that Reimu likes and enjoys being around whereas Sumireko is kind of just a bratty teen in a different way than Kosuzu yeah and all she does is cause problems for Reimu Mm -hmm. in a different way than Kosuzu (laughs) She will cause problems on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so it is nice to see that Sumiriko actually can make a friend in Gensokyo that despite how unlikely a friendship with Moko seems, <laughs> like I, th- I think it works. I think that Moko definitely has the depressed millennial look down. <laughs> I mean, Moko's really good at making friends, actually. Yeah, but she... yeah, it's surprising that Sumiriko would make friends with her. I think Moko's kind of in like... Kind of age limbo, like a lot of the immortal characters, obviously, but... Moko is diagnosed with, like, exactly 20 years old. (laughs) Everybody thinks of her as either younger or older than them. Nobody thinks of her as, oh, she's around my age. Yeah. She's been 20 for, what was it, 1300 years now? (laughs) And that's not even, like, in a snarky sense. That's just how it works. She's depressed millennial in the lived millennium sense of the word. (laughs) Yeah, so Moko and Sumiriko friendship is the relationship between millennials and Sumers. <coughs> okay, sure. <laughs> I don't have anything more to say about that. I just do appreciate that she's friends with Moko. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Also, like, she has someone in Gensokyo who's, like, not just tolerating her because she barged in the shop. Or trying to use her for whatever mildly yeah. nefarious deed they're pulling off. No offense to Kasson, but she does kind of end up doing mildly nefarious things. Okay, I mean, actually, yes, offense to Kasson, but no offense to Kasson in that particular sense. <laughs> <laughs> Full offense to Kasson. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Sumiriko's theme a lot, also. It's one of my favorite boss themes, actually. The very dramatic piano. It fits her somehow, even though like it doesn't seem like it would. I think it's somehow hard to get a grasp on. But now that I'm thinking about it, it's definitely playing in my head, so... To me, it evokes the image of a 2000s anime. Like, something like Black Butler or... I don't know. Like, something from that era. And that, to me, is just kind of what Sumeriko's personality is, also. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. <laughs> so that's that's how it works for me. Sumeriko 3D printed a gun. Right, that was the thing that I wanted to talk about. I think it's very important to understand Sumiriko as a person that she not only 3D printed a gun, but she took that gun and brought it with her to Gensokyo. <laughs> Even knowing the fact that 3D printed guns were prototypes and would usually backfire, she still decided, <laughs> I am going to use this for self-defense and not like a knife or something normal. Yeah, yeah, so she's absolutely the kind of person to bring a gun to Gensokyo. Like, she has psychic powers. It would be much more efficient for her to bring, like, a couple of kitchen knives and fling them around at people. But she's just like, I will 3D print a gun. I mean, I imagine she's somehow using her powers with the gun, too. Mm-hmm. But its name is really amazing. Maybe she's using her powers to hold the piece of crap together. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that whenever she uses it, she just shouts, gun sign, 3D printed gun, before pulling the trigger? <laughs> I think she definitely does. She's She definitely actually shouts all of her attacks in real life. I feel like most Tohos do, but it's a little bit more tuny for Sumireko because most of her attacks are literally just like normal attacks. They're not like 
super cool Danmark or anything besides her Santa cards. The people that we've seen do it in like Silent Generation Blue, I think they knew what the whole Danmaku thing was. So Mariko just came in and did it anyway. She didn't know it. you were supposed to do it. Yeah, the reason she's doing it is because she's a Chuni who is acting like an anime character, whereas everyone else is actually an anime character. Yeah. She isn't doing it because it's helpful to have your opponent know that, yes, you're declaring spell card rules. Now you're going to shout really loud to make sure that they know that you're declaring spell card rules. She's just like... Ah, that looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> Even and though I... the name is Gun Sign, <laughs> 3D <laughs> printed gun. <laughs> yes. Hey, don't knock her for lack of creativity. I mean, that's one of my favorites. Remu has five <laughs> variants of Fantasy Seal. <laughs> that's her signature move, though. I was about to call it like a personal meme, but I realized that's not how memes work. But <laughs> you can totally have... A meme is something that can be so personal, actually. <laughs> yeah. So... Soon talks a lot about wanting to sort of maintain the Chuni outlook on life, having the Chuni attitude until he dies, that kind of thing. And I do think that despite Sumireko being the way that she is, just like a really kind of an annoyance and... I think that Zun might be looking back with loving embarrassment on his younger days to some degree. I do think that Samirako is definitely like a love letter to Chunihood. Like even though she acts the way she does and is kind of she's got like the superiority complex and all of that. I think that's Zun like not romanticizing of being a Chuni, not like not to use that <laughs> word. She's just an average look at an average Chuni. Yeah, like Zun's got a very frank view of it i think and zun's got a really frank view of a lot of things he's just like well this thing isn't entirely bad nor good let's have let me show you an example of it not being entirely bad nor good yeah like he's embracing everything about being a chuni except for capitalism he's always negative about capitalism that's true mm-hmm. he's sort of embracing what being a chuni entails in a way yes. and making this character who is everything that a chuni entails Especially a younger Chuni. Yeah, and I do think it's interesting that this is the character that he chose to sort of advance the plot in Gensokyo for the last, like, five years of Toho, basically. Gensokyo is a really Chuni place. (laughs) That's true. Like, everything that we've learned about Gensokyo as a world and how it works since Urban Legend Limbo came out, like, a huge portion of that has been entirely localized around Sumireko in terms of like it's like her stories that really expand on that yeah and I think like for some reason some people with wrong bad opinions have like decided that they don't like Sumireko and I think she's great and I'm glad every time we get content around her I feel like people just don't like whenever a Toho character gets more attention than their favorite character I mean fair yeah Yeah. and People make a lot of jokes about, like, I don't know, like, Aya being Zun's self-insert or whatever. Or at least used to. But I do think that... Of- Most of Zun's characters that he revolves the plot around for a significant period of time tend to be at least some little bit of Zun projection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's literally how being a writer works. You can't really do a main character that is completely different from you. Otherwise, it'll end up sounding like an isekai protagonist. Yeah. <laughs> All his children. Yeah, but I do think that Sumireko is definitely the strongest case for this is a self-insert of any Toho character. But it's like a really self-deprecating self-insert, yeah, a, if anything. It's a very self-aware self-insert. Every single one of Zun's self-inserts is kind of self-deprecating in a way, isn't it? That's true. Yeah, which is probably the better way to make one. He has a very good sense of humor about himself. It's not always the best idea to self-deprecate, but if you're doing a work where you're having a protagonist that is a little bit of a self-insert, it's probably okay to self-deprecate there, because the alternative is usually Gappy Fix. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Sumiyako kind of is a Gappy Fix, but... She's a realistic Gappy Fix that 
both takes down the everything goes perfectly forever and the everything is edgy and deaf versions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's almost like, I, I know Zen says he doesn't read fan works or anything like that, but... I wonder if he really does, honestly, because maybe he doesn't read many fan works, but you've got to have a general idea of what's going on, doesn't he? He goes to Comic Cat. Certainly, like, I'm sure he's aware of, like, various, like, fandom trends and stuff like that. There is kind of a difference in how, like, Sumureko actively breaks into Gensokyo because she thinks it's cool and she found these balls. Yeah. You weren't saying it was a one-to-one recreation of the most cliche plots, but it is definitely a like at least in a more general sense a, some kind of reference to those kinds of self-insert and isekai plots. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get gapped into Gensokyo. She like she doesn't get isekai. She actively isekais herself. I guess the last thing I would want to say about Sumiraka is this is just kind of a trend in general, but I do really appreciate that Zun writes so many female protagonists that are like nerdy or geeky in some way. Like this is sort of going back to the gender episode a bit, but like his female characters are not some kind of... I feel like he just writes people as people. Exactly. Like he doesn't really do like a very like idealized or cut out like, you know, female protagonist. He just writes, like, what he knows. So, like, he ends up, like, making a lot of characters who are just, like, really nerdy girls who are passionate about, like, nerdy interests like science and video games and all that. And as a girl who is passionate about science and video games, <laughs> I, I do really appreciate that a lot. It's really good and it's in, like, a very genuine way that doesn't scream of, like, you know, we need more girls in STEM or whatever. It's just, yeah. oh, I'm in STEM and I'm writing girls? Well, here they are. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like he just writes people as people and stories as things that could actually happen. Yeah. Like, he's just like, oh, this seems like a thing that could happen in this sort of world. Here we we go. Rather than thinking too hard about, like, overarching plot with grand character development and everything. I think that Zoom's lack of focus on character development is actually a really good thing. Like, not every character has to develop over the course of the story. Yeah, Zun does not really follow the rules of character or story creation, and that is why he is so good at them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Is there anything else we want to say about Samirika? That's a way too positive, like, way too wholesome point to end the episode on, so can I say something horrible? Yeah, you can yes. say something horrible. Please do. We wouldn't be we wouldn't be the show if we didn't. I can't hear the words dummy body without adding thick in between. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yukari definitely made that joke while making it. Ron's just like, what is dummy thick? (laughs) I want to see what the pair of their home life is like because if it's anything like Cajun Lunatic Renegade, it's just Ron being like, what is going on? What is happening? Yeah, that would that'd be very good. But yeah, I'm done. And on the final note, I ended up best friends with a hermit in another world. What if we just named this episode like a light novel title? <laughs> we gotta, we gotta do that. Yeah, we'll work on that. So I guess that is the episode, unless anybody has <laughs> anything else to talk about. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think we're done. Samirako's good. We love Samirako. She's horrible. We love her. Yeah. The, the OG outside roller cultist. Yeah. Thank you for our names, Sumiriko. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Although, aren't you more of an esotericist anyway? Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time, everybody. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Yeah, thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs>